0: This is a GRDC podcast. After the prolonged drought, in a way, it makes a change to once again have to think about diseases caused by rainfall in crop. G'day, I'm Chris Brown. For chickpea growers, Ascochyta blight is likely to be a challenge this year, But there's some very good advice in the form of a new fact sheet that has a strong focus on this season. I had the chance to talk to Kevin Moore, the very well-known and respected senior plant pathologist at the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries, about the season ahead. Chickpea plantings in the northern region vary from planting into moisture in New South Wales to much drier conditions in Queensland. So what does that mean when it comes to ascochyta risk in 2020?
1: The ascochyta risk in 2020 will depend on Primarily the amount of inoculum that's available and the seasonal conditions. If it's a dry season like we've had in the last two years, then ascochyta is not going to be a problem. But if the Bureau of Meteorology forecast is correct for a wet winter, then ascochyta will become an issue because what we've found in the last two to three weeks is that even though ascochyta inoculum has not increased in the past, say, two and a half, three seasons, it hasn't decreased much either because it's been dry. And under dry conditions, plant tissues do not break down as much as in, under normal seasonal conditions. And the ascochyta fungus survives on chickpea residue. And if there's chickpea residue in the paddock and chickpeas are planted into that paddock, the ascochyta fungus can come off that residue, even though it might be several years old. We've got ascochyta off chickpea residue from the 2017 season. So it survived over two years.
0: Is that something you've come across before, or is that is no, that well because
1: made? I've only been at Tamworth since nineteen eighty, and I've only worked on Askakita since nineteen ninety eight, and I've never seen a drought like what the one we've just been through. And talking to the older farmers, they haven't either. Yeah. So we've never had this prolonged dry period of you know two to almost three dry seasons followed by a season that looks like it's going to be a much better one for the farmers and therefore also conducive to ascochyta.
0: If farmers have planted into paddocks where they've grown chickpeas uh, two or three years ago and they had an ascochyta problem, they really need to be very much aware of that this year then. They
1: certainly do. And that is a realistic scenario, Chris. A lot of the chickpea crops that are being planted as we speak, or that are already in the ground, they will have been planted into paddocks that had chickpeas in 2016, 2018, or 2017. Hopefully none will be planted into paddocks that had chickpeas last year, but you just don't know. But certainly, I would say without exception, every chickpea crop in 2020 will have been or will be planted into a paddock that has had chickpeas in the last three years. And we know that the residue has survived. And we also know that the fungus is surviving on seed.
0: Another issue, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is
1: another. I mean, the ascochyta fungus really only survives four ways. It survives on seed that's infected because the pods were infected It survives on seed that's contaminated. So this is healthy seed that is handled by a machine like a header or grain handling equipment that's been previously contaminated with ascochyta-infected residue, and that then basically inoculates the healthy seed. Now, fortunately, the registered seed treatments give excellent control of both internally born ascochyta, that is the seed that get infected from the pods, and this outside, this external contamination from handling machinery. And then we have chickpea residue. And then, of course, there are volunteers. We know that the volunteers um, have got ascochyta on them now. It's either come from infections that were missed in the 2019 season, or it's come from residue that's left over from the 2017 season.
0: There's a brand new and very timely New South Wales DPI fact sheet that explains what a high risk paddock is and what is a, a low risk. Sounds like just about everywhere is going to be a high risk paddock, but let's focus on that high risk. You, you've already talked about the frequency or the timing of paddock selection in terms of risk. What else is there in in terms of risk this year for Ascochyta blight?
1: Well, the main thing is to know what your risk level is. If you're empowered with that, you'll be in a very good position to work out your management strategy. So high-risk paddocks are paddocks where there's viable Ascochyta inoculum or paddocks that have been planted of chickpeas in the last three years, seed that is of unknown Ascochyta status and seed that has not been properly treated with a registered seed dressing. So all those four categories define a high-risk ascochyta situation.
0: So when a crop comes out of the ground in one of these high-risk paddocks this year, you've been very specific in this fact sheet about what growers should do to stop that fungus appearing in the first place.
1: Because we know that there's ascochyta about now, and even though growers won't be planting chickpeas back into those volunteer paddocks, they'll be planting next to them. And ascochyta blight fungus is spread by raindrop splash and wind. So it's possible that some of the diseased material from those infected volunteers has been blown into the paddocks that will be planted to chickpeas this year or may be carried by surface water flow. And also the volunteer chickpeas that by now would have been sprayed out with herbicides, unless they've been ploughed under, or somehow removed, even though the chickpea volunteer plants are dead, the ascochyta fungus is not.
0: What management strategies should growers adopt then?
1: Well, we're advising growers in those situations to apply a preventative fungicide before the first post-emergent rain event. So if the chickpeas are out of the ground and rain is forecast, we're saying apply a preventative fungicide, so that's one based on chlorothalonil, or one based on
0: mancozeb, such as diethone. So what about low-risk paddocks, if if there's such a thing this year? Is there a different strategy for them?
1: Well, what we're saying for low-risk paddocks is you don't need to do anything until you detect the disease.
0: One of the points in the fact sheet that interested me, Kevin, was the virulence of ascochyta blight has become much stronger over the past decade or two. What does that mean when it comes to control?
1: For want of a better word, Chris, pathologists tend not to use the word virulence unless we're dealing with very specific races of pathogens, and there's no evidence for a race structure in the ascochyta pathogen in Australia. But what we are seeing, which is the consequence is the same, is we've seen an increase in aggressiveness. When you've got an aggressiveness factor, all ascochyta isolates infect all varieties, but some isolates cause more damage on some varieties than others. And that's what we're facing. So we've seen since around about 2016, certain isolates from Dubbo's right through to central Queensland are causing more damage on PBA hat-trick and PBA boundary than they did in the past. So in 2010, Chris, which was a very wet year, highly conducive to ascochyta, where we inoculated our PBA hat-trick and didn't apply any foliar fungicides, we lost about 37% of the yield. In 2016, which was the next big wet year, unprotected hat trick, we lost 98% of the yield. Wow. So the pathogen had changed in that six-year period. Does
0: that mean that uh, ascochyta blight is becoming harder to control with the chemicals, or are the chemicals still working?
1: Yes, that, that I mean that's an excellent question, Chris. That's, and that, that's the only good news, really. So even though certain isolates, and I, I specify certain isolates, not all isolates, but very specific isolates, can cause more damage on hat-trick than other isolates, they are just as easy to manage. So the management strategies do not change when you're dealing with these highly aggressive isolates. They are just as easy to manage.
0: And that is good news. It yeah. is good news, yes. When it comes to chemistries, there are a couple of new chemistries around at the moment, ones that have a preventative and a curative component to them. Where do they fit into the mix of chemistries that farmers would be used to using?
1: This new chemistry, Chris, you're right, and they're both registered for use on chickpeas. There are stringent restrictions on their use. Both of them are restricted to only two applications in a season. And one of them you can't apply after mid to late flowering. But they're very good at controlling ascochyta. And unlike the preventative fungicides, chlorothalonol and mancozeb, these two new products can be used if a grower misses a spray, providing he gets some mine within 48 hours after the rain starts. So we see a place for these not in the normal management plan for a chickpea farmer, but in case something goes wrong and he misses a spray.
0: Now, I'm told, Kevin, that you are very, very strong on prevention is better than cure. Now, you mentioned that you should wait until you see Ascochyta in the low-risk paddocks. Why not spray them? Well, there's two reasons for that, Chris. One is we want to reduce the use of
1: fungicides in the environment. And the second one is the more exposure the pathogen has to fungicides, the greater the risk of developing resistance to fungicides. And there's no evidence that that's happened with either chlorothalonol or mancozeb in broad acre crops, but we know some of this newer chemistry. So both these new products have two active ingredients and resistance is known in the groups to which those two active ingredients belong. So we, we don't want to lose these products. And the best way to do that is to minimise the use of fungicides. So what we're saying with these low-risk paddocks, there's no cost benefit in applying any type of fungicide until you find the disease. And that will avoid that early, what I believe will be an unnecessary spray in the 2020 season for those particular paddocks.
0: Okay. Well, summing up, Kevin, we don't know what the season will bring us yet, but as you say, it does look as if we'll get some rain through the growing season. What are your key messages for growers this year? For Ascochida, be
1: alert. Do not be complacent. Talk with your neighbours and your your agronomists. Follow the recommendations in this new DPI fact sheet. And for more information on chickpea growing and chickpea disease management in general, Refer to the winter crop variety sowing guide from the New South Wales DPI, which is now available on the New South Wales DPI web. For the other diseases, you've got Botrytis seedling disease. So, if growers are using seed from as far back as the 2016 or 2017 season, those two seasons, we did see some Botrytis grey mould toward the end of the chickpea season. And so, there's a risk that that seed will be internally infected with the Botrytis fungus. Botrytis grey mould. The way that the season is going, if we get a wet, warm spring, we'll end up with chickpea crops with a lot of biomass. So we'll have big crops, big canopies, and they will be at risk of Botrytis grey mould. The other diseases: Phytophthora root rot, Sclerotinia stem rot, and of course viruses. Unfortunately, there's nothing that you can do about any of those three classes of diseases in crop. So If the crop's in the ground, the best thing that growers can do is be aware of the diseases that they can do something about. And the main one, of course, is ascochida.
0: Kevin Moore, a senior plant pathologist with the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries based in Tamworth. My name is Chris Brown.